0: and on today's episode, a listener writes in, they have a great question. And the question is, why is the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus so important? This is especially important as we are about to celebrate Easter, uh, the that is, which is focused on the resurrection of our Lord. And Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And the lengthliest explanation in the New Testament about the resurrection, it comes to us in 1 Corinthians 15. And the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is about how if Jesus did not bodily rise in victory over death, then Christianity is false and dreamed up by liars to give uh, false hope to people. And so in, in this episode... Um, I want to help you examine the biblical evidence about Jesus, the historical evidence, and some arguments against the resurrection. So the resurrection is one of the most known and its celebrated miracle in the history of the world. There has always been consensus that it is in many ways the core of the Christian faith. Thomas Arnold, professor of modern history at Oxford, says, No one fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and rose again. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, says this, that our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in words alone, but in every leaf in springtime. And Benjamin Warfield, a Princeton professor, said that the resurrection is a fact. And so let's talk now about the resurrection and scripture. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah promised that Jesus would be born in humble circumstances to live a simple life, to die a brutal life, and then to rise to take away our sins in Isaiah 53. On numerous occasions throughout the gospels, Jesus plainly promised he would die and rise three days later. The death of Jesus was a brutal event where he underwent sleepless nights of, of trial and beating and that left him exhausted. And he was scourged with a whip, he was crucified on a cross, and he had a spear thrust into his side. And later he was wrapped in roughly 100 pounds of linens and spices, which would have killed him by asphyxiation. Were he still alive? And and through it, this all, Jesus could have survived, but he did not have to, could not have endured, I should say, three days without food and water and a cold tomb carved out of rock with all of his previous treatments piled on. Jesus was dead before they even wrapped him in the linens for burial. And it's important that Jesus was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. Jesus was a poor man. He could not afford an expensive burial plot. And after he died on the cross, a, a wealthy and well-known man named Joseph of Arimathea gifted his expensive tomb for the burial of Jesus. This was made the tomb easy to find, so soldiers were assigned to guard it. The disciples and the woman who visited the tomb found it empty. They all knew exactly where Jesus' dead body had been laid to rest. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, it would have been easy to prove it by opening the tomb and presenting Jesus' body as evidence. Now, Jesus appeared physically alive after three days after his death. And it's important to say here that the Jehovah's Witnesses, they reject the physical resurrection of Jesus while maintaining that he rose spiritually. This alternative explanation for Jesus' resurrection does not agree with the historical fact. Following Jesus' resurrection, people touched his body. His disciples clung to his feet. Mary clung to him. Thomas the doubter put his hand into the open spear hole in Jesus' side. Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, who had been uncertain if he had truly physically risen from the dead. So the scriptures are clear, however, that Jesus went out of his way to prove his bodily resurrection in John 20 and Matthew 28 and in uh, John again, John 20. So there's no credible historical evidence from the period of Jesus uh, to validate any alternative description other than for Jesus' resurrection, other than his literal resurrection physical resurrection as we see in Luke 24. In fact, Jesus' resurrection was recorded in scripture shortly after it occurred. Mark's gospel account of the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion mentioned the high priest without making him one. Mark did not mention the high priest by name because he expected his readers to know whom he was speaking about. Caiaphas was high priest from 18 to 37 AD. The latest possible date for the tradition is 37 AD. And so that date is so close to the death of Jesus, there would not have been a sufficient time for a legend to develop around the resurrection. And this proves the biblical record of Jesus was penned, while eyewitnesses were still alive to verify the facts. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not a legend that was developed after the time of Jesus. We see this in Mark chapter 14. Jesus' resurrection was celebrated in the church's earliest creeds. We see this in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 15. This statement is accepted as the church's earliest creed, which began circulating around 30 to 36 AD, shortly after Jesus' resurrection. And so the early age of this creed, it demonstrates there was not sufficient time between the crucifixion and the creed for any legend to develop about the resurrection. And also the witnesses mentioned, as I mentioned, were still alive. They were still available to be questioned about the facts surrounding the resurrection. So the early date of this creed also proves that the church did not corrupt the truth about Jesus with fables and folklore like the resurrection. Rather, the early church simply clung to the the plain truth, the simple facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus' resurrection convinced his family to worship him as God. James, Jesus' half-brother, was originally opposed to the claims of his brother, a transformation, though, occurred in James after he saw his brother's resurrection from the dead. James went on to pastor the church in Jerusalem and even author the New Testament epistle bearing his name. He was not actively involved in shaping, he was also, I should say, actively involved in shaping the life of the early church, which suffered and died to proclaim to everyone that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus' mother Mary was part of the early church that prayed to and worshipped her son uh, as God, as was Jesus' other brother Jude, who wrote a book of the New Testament bearing his name. And while it's not impossible to imagine, Jesus was Convincing his own mother and brothers to suffer persecution in this life and to risk the torments of hell and eternal life for worshiping him as the one true God, unless he really is. As we see in John 5, 1 Corinthians 15, James 1, 1, Acts 12, uh, Acts 15, Acts 21, 18, Galatians 2, uh, Acts 1, and Jude 1. Now... Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his most bitter opponents like Paul, right? Paul was struck down, blinded by the glory of God in Christ. He was converted. He became the most dynamic defender and expander of the church had Jesus not risen from the dead. It's absurd to assume that Paul would have worshipped him as God, particularly when Paul rightly believed that worshipping a false god would send one to hell. And so Paul hated Jesus and would have never changed his religious practice unless Jesus had risen from the dead to prove him wrong. And so finally, Paul insisted that Jesus had risen in almost all of his letters in the New Testament. For example, his testimony in Philippians 3, uh, in Acts seven fifty-four through 60 and in Acts 9, we see this very clearly. And so having considered some of the biblical evidence surrounding the physical and literal resurrection of our Lord, there's also an enormous amount of evidence about the resurrection. We're not going to get to all of it, but here's some of it. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian who lived from 37 to uh, 100 AD. He's considered a very trustworthy source. And he says in his Testimonium Flavium, Uh, Josephus says now there was about this Jesus a wise man if it be lawful to call him a man for he was a doer of wonderful works a teacher of such men a receiver of as a receiver of the truth with pleasure he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles he was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to be alive on the third day, as the divine prophets have foretold those men and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. And there's a lot more that we could say, but... Uh, there, there's uh, even more to consider uh, about the, the glory of Christ. Um, many impartial students have approached the resurrection with a judicial spirit, have been compelled by the weight of the evidence to believe in the resurrection as a fact of history. An example of this can be seen by a letter written by Sir Edward Clark to Reverend E.L. Macassie. And he says, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence for the events of the first Easter day. And to me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over and over again in the high court, I have secured a verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Inference follows on evidence, and a truthful witness is always artless and disdains effect. The gospel's evidence, listen to this, for the resurrection is of this class. And as a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to the facts that they were able to substantiate. You know, this this is uh, really important because the earliest attempt to even provide an alternative explanation for the resurrection of Jesus did not deny that the tomb was empty in Matthew 28. The Jews claimed that the body was stolen, thus admitting the fact of the empty tomb. The tomb was closed with an enormous rock and sealed by the government, and there is no explanation for how the, the rock was moved while being guarded by Roman soldiers. Second, if the body had been stolen, a large ransom could have been offered to the thieves, and they would have been coerced to produce the body. If the disciples had taken the body, then the only thing the Jews would have had to do is persecute the disciples long enough to give up the body of Jesus. And thirdly, if the body was stolen, how are we to account for the fact that Jesus appeared to multiple crowds of people, proving that he was alive? And finally, the theft of the body is unlikely and still fails to account for its uh, returning to life. Now, the historical testimony of those who were not even Christians stands in agreement with the scriptures that Jesus died and rose again because those facts are established from scripture and from history. And so as we've considered some of the biblical evidence and some of the historical resurrection uh, surrounding the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection, we can say, is a biblical and historical fact. Every year, Christians celebrate our Lord's resurrection at Easter, and many people believe in the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection, but have not yet become Christians by placing their personal trust by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus promised that he would not only rise from the dead to prove beyond any shadow of doubt he is God, but also that he would judge everyone who has ever lived and determine their faith in John five sixteen through 30 His first promise came true when he rose from the dead, and his second promise will come true either upon our death or upon his second coming, the opportunity in this life is only now to repent, to believe, and to trust in Christ. There are no second chances after death. Jesus is more than just a good man. He's more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a priest and a moral philosopher. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man who bled and died in the place and for sinners and was buried and rose again. Forgiveness and eternal life are made possible only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus uh, demands a response, the response to the death and resurrection. It demands a response. Do you today have assurance that your sins are forgiven? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? The only one who can offer you forgiveness from your sin and through the death and resurrection of Christ is none other than Jesus, fully God and fully man. Only Jesus can empower you to live a new life. And so we need to be reminded of this because Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, you must, if you have never put your personal faith and trust in Christ, you must, in light of the biblical evidence, repent to believe and put your hope and trust in Christ alone. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology Segment. Until next week, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe,